You know, I think this is going to be one of the most practical series we've ever done at New Spring. And what, what made me think about it from the very beginning and be burdened about it is I, I meet so many people that get stuck in life. And even though they keep on breathing and they keep on going to work and paying the bills, it's as if their life is just frozen in time because something has caused them to get stuck. And so I've been praying about this and thinking a lot about how do you move on when you get stuck? And I realized as I began this series that there are a lot of different ways of getting stuck, and I'm trying to deal with some of the ones that are the most prominent. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really know for sure where I was going completely when I started this series. I just began to pray and ask God, what, what is it that causes people to get sidelined? And so last week, I actually brought a message I didn't plan to bring at the beginning of the series, because it seemed like the more I prayed about it, the more God said, hey, stubbornness is something that, that causes people to get stuck. And so last week, I brought a message called Monkey Trap. And I don't even know that I saw this message for sure when I first started out, but the more I prayed, the more it seemed like God was directing me in, in this particular way. I want to talk tonight about being in a dark room. I want to talk about Negativity. We live in a culture that's very negative, and it's growing more so. And the, 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 the memory, the metaphor that I have for this was, I remember when I was a kid, my parents took me to Carlsbad Cavern in New Mexico. When you have ADD, you see all you want of a cavern in about five minutes. The only problem was it was an all-day trip. I mean, we felt like we walked forever and forever through this. And I, you know, I learned about stalagmites and stalactites and just don't remember a whole lot of it other than I was bored for most of it. But I do remember one thing. They took us to a deep part of the cavern and they turned out all the lights. They asked us, first of all, be sure that you get comfortable and you get seated in a place where you don't need to move. And when they turned off the lights, it was total darkness. You and I think we experience darkness when our house is dark or when it's dark outside. But I learned something that day in Carlsbad Cavern. Total darkness is something else. You know, in total darkness, it isn't just that you don't want to move or walk. It's, it's almost paralysis. I remember not even wanting to bring my hand up to my face. In fact, I remember, I was probably about 10, I thought, I'm going to see if I can lift my hand up and touch my face. Because that is the feeling of total darkness. Darkness paralyzes. And what I've discovered is that there's another kind of darkness that paralyzes in a different way. Not a physical darkness that keeps us from physical movement, but an emotional and, and, and psychological and spiritual darkness that makes us not want to move in life. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine about another friend who's a very good friend, and these two guys are partners. And, and this guy that he was talking about is one of the most positive human beings I've ever met in my life, an extraordinary guy. But he was telling me about something that happened years ago this guy that we both loved got to listening to talk radio in the afternoon. And you know how negative that can be. And it got to where he had begun to be a negative person. He was actually bringing the negativity to the job site. And, and my friend had to tell my other friend, hey, we need you so much for your creativity and your color and your, and your insights and your capabilities. You're going to have to quit listening to talk radio. Well, I think we understand that because all of us in our culture today, especially with what happens if you listen to news or listen to talk radio, if you read, and Lord knows social media, it's a blessing. I love some of the cool things about social media, but how many of us have decided we're just going to have to shut off Facebook for a day because it's so negative, the feed, that we just can't like read it anymore? And, and it's in our world. And, 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 and here's the thing. 
All of us know what that darkness is like when it comes to things like anxiety and pessimism and fear. But that's not what I want to talk about. I mean, we could all agree tonight that there's too much negativity, there's too much bad news in our culture. I read the Dallas Morning News every day. It's the newspaper I grew up with. I read it online. And, and uh, so the other day, Morales is getting dinner up, and, and I've got my head in the cell phone reading the morning news. And Morales said, what are you reading? That was her way of saying, you're not talking to me. You got your nose on the phone. And I said, well, I'm reading the Dallas Morning News. She said, well, what's, the, what's, what's, what's in it? And I said, you know, if you took out the bad news and the insignificant, there wouldn't be anything in it but the classifieds. And that's the world that we live in. There's a lot of negative stuff. And, and we would all agree tonight, yeah, we're surrounded by too much negativity. But that is not what this sermon is about. Because I want to talk about when we go a step further. And I don't know what else to call it except calling it going negative. It's when the negativity in our life actually begins to influence how we talk, how we react, how we think, and how we treat other people. You know, here's the thing. If tonight, and I don't mean, I'm not trying to be cute, but tonight if you were driving your car and, you know, it's dark and you're driving your car and all of a sudden you begin to zig and zag and cross over into the other lane, it wouldn't be long before one of Wichita's finest would pull you over to find out what's going on. And that police officer is going to want to know, what are you driving under the influence of? Do you have a health issue? Have you been drinking? What is it, what is, what is it that's influencing you to drive your car in a particular pattern that is not safe? And what I want to talk to us tonight is sometimes we can begin to live our life under the influence of negativity. And it's a very dangerous thing. And, and here's the thing. It can cause us, not to mix my metaphors, it can cause us to be stuck. When we come under the influence of negativity, we get to the place where we're like I was in Carlsbad Cavern. And we just don't feel like going forward. And we can actually begin to suffer ourselves and damage other people. I want to hand Colin Kaepernick my appreciation for giving me a marvelous illustration of this. About lunchtime today, I went to work out, and I got on the elliptical, and I was listening to music, but I had the monitor on in front of me, and ESPN was on, and I kept writing the creeper about Colin Kaepernick, who was starting quarterback. I guess he's still the starting quarterback after last night, but he's quarterback of the 49ers. And it seems that last night during the game against Green Bay that he did not stand up for the national anthem. And so when he was asked why he did not stand up for the national anthem, Colin Kaepernick said, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football. Well, instantly when I, I, I saw that, I thought, well, if it's bigger than football, then you shouldn't play the game. I mean, don't think about just not standing up for the national anthem. Don't play the game. And if it's bigger than football, don't collect your paycheck. I had all those thoughts that were in my mind. But I'll tell you the thing that got to me the most was I began to think about a speech that was made by a real civil rights pioneer. I began to think about one of my heroes, Dr. Martin Luther King, and on a speech that he made. And I Googled it, looked it up, and made sure that I had it right in my memory. I mean, with Dr. King, we're not talking about an overpaid, underperforming NFL athlete prima donna. When you're Dr. King, you're talking about somebody who faced Bull Connor's dogs and water, water hoses. You're talking about somebody that faced Jim Clark 
and his tactics on the bridge, on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. You're talking about somebody who experienced bombing him. You're talking about somebody who went to jail for civil rights. You're talking about somebody that didn't just not stand up for the, for the national anthem. You're talking about somebody that really made a difference in civil rights. You know what Dr. King said? You know what I thought about when I was on the elliptical today? He said, I love America. I speak out because I'm disappointed with America. There can be no great disappointment where there's not great love. There's a lot of difference there, isn't it? On one hand, you got one guy saying, I'm not going to stand up for the flag. And you got somebody else saying, you know, I love America very much. And I speak out about the racism in America, but I speak out because I love America. I'm disappointed, but I love America. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the difference between somebody who's positive and creative and somebody that's negative. By the way, I did notice that, that Kaepernick went two for six for 14 yards last night. He needs to concentrate on keeping his job with the 49ers. But I will say this. The more I thought about that, I'm not trying to run this into the ground, but I thought, you know what? He's just a young man. And he's part of this culture where there's all this negativity. But the problem is, it's no longer a concern that is, it would be reasonable to hold on to and wish for better things and work for social justice. Instead of that, it's become something negative, something offensive. What is it that causes us to cross the line and to go from having concerns about things not being right to actually beginning to do things that are self-destructive and destructive to others? Well, you know, we, we use terms like negative and positive, and we use terms like going negative. The Bible has other terms for it. When the Bible talks about positiveness, it's talking about faith. And when it talks about negativeness, it's talking about doubt. And this stuff that I'm talking about, when I'm talking about going negative, the Bible calls it bitterness. So what I want to do is I want to take you to a verse in the Bible that's sort of the quintessential scripture about bitterness. Because for the time that we have together, I want to talk to us about the damage that can happen to us when we go negative, and I also kind of want to talk to us about how we deal with negative people. Because all of us here today are going to be in situations where we could be inclined to go negative, and all of us, Lord knows, is going to have to deal with negative people. So I'm going to do my best to just kind of talk generically down the middle of the road, and then you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you apply this message as it relates most to you. But in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, here's what the Bible has to say about bitterness. And what you're going to notice is that God doesn't waste any words. Let's read it, and then we'll unpack it. Ready? Watch out. Well, you know, for me, when I think about watch out, it's like I think about dogs and tornadoes and intruders. But God is going to say, watch out about going negative. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up, and the word Hebrew there means quickly, shoots up. To trouble you, and it's the Greek word for disturbing the peace. You know, if you were to see a sign back in the first century that says no disturbing the peace, it would be this word. Well, let's read it again. Let's make sure we get it in context. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now, let me spell the word so that you don't hear a homonym. The word is D-Y-E. The, like, like a dye or a stain. So let's make sure that we understand what the verse says. It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up quickly to disturb your peace and stain many. Let's unpack that. 
what that verse infers without being told is there has to be a seed. You wouldn't have a root of something if you didn't have a seed. So consequently, whenever we go negative, something or someone has planted a seed. There's just something, there's some injustice in our life. There's some hurt, there's some pain, there's some unrealized expectation that gets planted. And then it becomes a root. Why is that significant? Why why does the Bible use the word root? Because here's the thing. You and I both know that you can have negative vibe, you can have negative feelings going on inside of you, and you can put your makeup on, you can wear your best clothes, and you can say hello to everybody and act like absolutely nothing is wrong. It's not like like if you'd broken an arm and you you were casted tonight, we would all see that. You know, if you if you had torn an ACL ligament out of your knee and you were in a brace, we would all see that. But the thing about it is you can be you can be going negative tonight and the rest of us won't know anything at all about it at first because it's a root. But as we follow this evolution of bitterness, notice that something is a seed that gets planted, then it becomes a root that grows underground, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but eventually it's gonna come above the surface, and the Bible says when it does, it will shoot up. It will grow up quickly. And then the most amazing thing, the Bible says it will disturb your peace. You know what happens? When when we allow bitterness to foment inside of us, we say that's our reaction to what somebody else has done to us. And bitterness is what we are doing to get even with him. We don't ever say that, but that's how we feel. It's my reaction. I'm just not going to show up. I'm just not going to talk to him. I'm just going to... And it's, it's how I get even. And you know what the interesting thing is? The Bible says that bitterness will disturb your peace. Well, uh, how does that make sense? I'm the victim here. And yet it's disturbing my peace. You ever have anybody disturb the peace where you live? I remember we were getting ready to move to Kansas. We sold our house, and it was a year before I could come up here. And so we had to get a condominium for six months after we sold our house. And all I remember is our next-door neighbors would, like, start playing the loudest music they could possibly play with this whoa, whoa, whoa bass. And it always started at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I mean, you know, I would bang on the walls and all the stuff that Christian people do in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it didn't matter. And you know, that's, it's, it, it, here's the thing. When something disturbs your peace, doesn't it have an erosive quality to it? It's like you go to bed and you think, is it going to happen tonight? Ah, oh, there it is again. And I'm talking to somebody here tonight, and you know what? You are a victim, and somebody has hurt you, and, and you know, you're the one not sleeping at night. Comedian Buddy Hackett said years ago, he said, the reason why I don't hold a grudge is while I'm holding the grudge, they're out dancing. And there's truth to that. So the Bible says, here's the thing about bitterness. It starts out as a seed underground. Somebody does something, says something, doesn't do something. Somebody does something. Somebody doesn't live up to an expectation. It's a seed, gets planted in the ground. With a lot of us, we foul it off. But the problem with somebody who's going to develop bitterness is that there's this root that just grows and grows and grows and grows underground. Then it shoots up, and then it begins to trouble us and disturb our peace. 
Men, every parent, every grandparent, everybody who loves somebody else ought to freak out on this next part because the Bible says it doesn't stop with us because, see, after a while, it begins to affect other people in our lives like a dye, like a stain. I don't know anything about laundry, but I know you keep whites and colors separate, right? You know, here's any, anybody here, you like have a load of whites and somehow somebody throws something red in with a real loose dye and all of a sudden you got a load of pinks, except it's not really pink, it's just splotchy pink. I mean, it's nothing. It, it, it's just, it's neither white nor red. And that's the problem. What happens when, when we get bitter, it begins to impact other people. And, and Lord knows the one thing I've watched through the years is that bitter people often pass it on to their children. You know, what happens is mom and dad have had something bad go wrong with them, and they're unhappy about it, and it just grinds and grinds and grinds, and it grows up underground, and it shoots up, and it disturbs their peace. And the next thing you know, the kids pick up on it, and they get dyed and stained by it. It's true, you know. <laughs> Don't you wish that faith spread like doubt? Don't you wish that positive feelings spread like negative feelings do? But they don't. I remember <laughs> when I was a very young man, I was asked to be a main speaker for this conference. And this was the famous conference that was held every year. I mean, I, was, I remember reading about it when I was a kid. My dad would get magazines, ministry magazines, and I would see this conference and the list of speakers, and the next thing you know, here I am, and I'm asked to be one of the main speakers. I'm doing a night session and a morning session. And there were like six or seven other speakers at this conference, and they all brought their wives, but for some reason, Brianna couldn't go. Our boys were smaller, and I went by myself. So I spoke the night service and spoke the morning service, and then there was a break. And during that break, this church was really, they were really big on hospitality. And so there was this elegant hospitality room, and there was this big table of snacks and hors d'oeuvres that was for the speakers and their wives. And then there was this really, really elegant seating area, and it was in kind of a horseshoe so that we were in close proximity facing each other. And as we sat down, I was really kind of excited because these were all older speakers, and I knew about them. They were all, they were all very famous, and they began to talk. But what, what New Spring, what amazed me was they began to criticize. They were criticizing other national Christian leaders. Can you believe it? The first person they were criticizing was Billy Graham. Are you kidding me? Billy Graham's been one of the biggest influences in my life. But they, the first guy started talking about Billy Graham, didn't like this about him. Then the next guy kind of took his turn and talked about him. Then the next guy took his turn, and it went all the way around the room, and it came to me. I just put my head down. I'm not going to criticize Billy Graham. I'm not fit to tie his Reeboks. And then they went on to somebody else, and they went around the room, and they started criticizing him. Well, I'm not going to criticize him. He's an author. I've read a lot of his books. They've ministered to me. I'm not going to say anything, so I just put my head down. And after about four of those guys being criticized by all that group, one of the wives said, I wonder what Mark thinks. Now, looking at, at that moment, I was young, and I thought, well, I thought perhaps she was trying to criticize me for not joining in to criticize. 
But you know, I've thought about that many times in all those years, and I can't help but wonder now, was that wife realizing where I was and wondering, I wish Mark would stop this. I wish he would speak up and stop it, and I wish many times that I did. Now, here's the thing. As I tell you that story, chances are you're thinking about some community in your life at school or friends or at work. You're thinking about the same thing because it happens. And what you watch is you watch people who will be criticizing and negative and fault-finding about people that they like. But that is the negative power of negativity. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says you got to watch out for this because it can happen so subtly. It can happen so quickly. A seed can get planted and a root can grow underground and it'll spring up. And before you know it, it's disturbing your peace and then it's affecting other people. And we don't want that to happen. So with that in mind tonight, what are the four things that you and I need to know about going negative or about negative people whether you're dealing with the possibility of it happening in your life or you're dealing with somebody who's negative. Here's the first thing that we need to know, and this is really important. We need to know what planted the seed, who planted the seed. If tonight you're struggling with bitterness, hey, just, just look and see who planted the seed. Now, here is what a seed is, just to make sure that we don't get lost in the metaphors. A seed is injustice plus a sense of entitlement. Because here's the deal. All of us deal with injustices every day. And you know what? If you're a healthy person, you just foul it off. You just foul it off. Okay, there's another one. I shouldn't have had that happen, but life's not fair. Just foul it off. But a seed gets planted when an injustice happens and we get a sense of entitlement. I should be paid for that. Whoa. That's toxic. So if tonight, if we look inside of us and we have a sense of injustice and entitlement, we need to ask ourselves, where do we get that? In many cases, we would have to say, got it from our parents. If you grow up to bitter, a bitter parent, it's very hard not to get stained with that bitterness, with that sense of injustice. I mean, some of us grew up with parents who were bitter against authority. And so consequently, they were bitter against authority. They're always complaining and fault-finding and talking about how that, you know, the authority has it in for them. And they're talking about how that they're rebellious and they do what they want to do. And you have a kid that grows up in that environment. And before you know it, the kid picks it up and, and then blows up his or her life. And the whole problem was mom and dad were the ones who planted the seed. Or it can just be hurts and disappointments. And we don't need to talk about that at length tonight, we know how that that can happen. You can just have enough hurts and disappointments that after a while, you just are waiting for the next shoe to fall. Or insecurity, and all of us deal with insecurity, but insecurity that I'm talking about is the insecurity where we're looking for somebody to sue because we don't feel like we measure up. I don't mean literally sue. But when we're talking about what, what it is that causes us to be bitter, I do want to talk about something else. And, and I think that some of us deal with what I would call episodic bitterness. For the most part, we're not bitter people. I mean, we know we live in an imperfect world. We know that bad things happen. And for the most part, we're able to foul it off. But along comes some particular frustration. And that frustration sort of pushes us over the line. And next thing you know, that we're normally positive people, but we find ourselves acting out of character and being bitter. 
If you want to study this in the Bible, there was a guy in the Bible named Elijah who I think was one of the most positive men in the world, had one of the greatest experiences when he was challenging the nation to turn from its idolatry and worship God. And he had a Mount Carmel experience. If you've ever heard the name Mount Carmel, we have a school named after Mount Carmel here in our city. Mount Carmel was where Elijah challenged the people of Israel to decide between Jehovah God and Baal. And he said, hey, let's, let's do something. And, and positive electric Elijah decides they're going to put this sacrifice out on top of the mountain and they're going to, the Baal worshipers will pray to their God and Jehovah worshiper Elijah will play, pray to his God and whichever God answers with fire is a true God. And if you read the story in First Kings, you know that Elijah prays after the Baal worshipers didn't get any action and fire fell and everybody said, God is God, Jehovah God is God, we'll worship Jehovah. And Elijah said, wow, I've been a success. But the next morning, he gets a text message from the queen that says, I'm going to kill you. Now, here is the thing. Elijah, I cannot wait till I get to heaven because I want to meet him. He is one of the most positive, energetic guys in the world. But that one thing pushes him over the line. And he has some episodic bitterness. Not normally a bitter person, but just one too many frustrations. And he goes over the line, and he finally checks out on God and just says to God, just kill me. Just kill me. And God is so good, isn't he? When we freak out, God is so good to, like, gently bring us back. And he did with Elijah. So all I'm asking is this. If you look inside of you and you've got a seed of bitterness, in other words, you have a sense of entitlement with injustice, that's inside of you, you got to ask yourself, where did it come from? My mom and dad, was it the hurts and disappointments of life? Is it insecurity? Or is it just an episode where I just got one too many frustrations? Here's the big thing. The question is not, is it legit? Because it'll almost always be. In other words, whatever it is that hurt you, don't ask, is it legit? Because it probably is. You probably actually got hurt. The question is not, is it legit? The question is, do you want it to run the rest of your life? Do you want it to control the rest of your life? Do you want it to freeze you? Well, with that in mind tonight, let me just give you some things, again, that we need to know. I mean, already we said we need to know where it came from. The second thing is, I want you to understand that bitterness and negativity cause us to lose our motivation. If you ever have met a negative person or a bitter person, you will notice that they, they don't, they're not motivated. And chances are you have somebody like this where you work or maybe somebody in your family. But let's just, uh, just for, for sake of fun, let's just call this guy George. And I'm going to assume everybody here named George is positive, so we'll just take that name. Uh, but here's George, and he works where you work. And you, everybody else is busy working, but you find him like this. And you say, George, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you working? You know, I'm just sick of this place. I really am. I'm sick of these people. These people are not fair. I get treated bad. The boss is terrible. It's just, it's just a joke working here. And so I've decided from now on I'm just going to do the minimum. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, George. Um, you know what? There are other people here that are being successful in the same environment with the same management structure. Well, they don't know what I know. Well, George, I've been here longer than you have. Well, you would say that. 
Now, what's going to happen? I'm going to tell you what's, you, you and I both know what's going to happen. Management's going to start looking around at George's department. They're going to say, you know what, this particular department's underperforming here. And why is it underperforming? And it isn't going to be long before a trail is going to go to George. And they're going to say, you know, George is just not motivated. I don't know what's the matter with George. George is not motivated. And, and ultimately, George is going to get fired. Now, what's going to happen when George gets fired? George is going to say, I knew it all the time. They had it in for me. They had it in for me from day one. And yet the reason George got fired is that George is underperforming because he's not motivated. Here's what I want to say, and this is so important. When you and I become negative, the bad things that we fear are going to happen most likely. But they're not going to happen for the reasons that we think they're going to happen. It's not because somebody has it in for us. It's because what happens when we turn bitter and negative is that we lose our motivation. And when we lose our motivation, we begin to underperform. And I promise you, when something like that happens, people are going to be looking for any way they can to get us out of the way. Here's the third thing that we need to learn. When bitterness fills, it fills fear and helplessness. When it speaks, it speaks blame. Bitterness speaks the language of blame. How many of us know somebody, and I'm not, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us know somebody that we avoid? Because whenever we get around them, they're going to start telling you about the people in their lives who have failed them, and their conversation is blame over and over again. Sometimes when I'm around negative people, I think they only have two switches. They only have two settings, V and T, victim and terrorist. Like one time they're victim, and the next time they're terrorist. They're causing all kinds of difficulty. And they're neither one. It's just that they've allowed themselves to have a seed in there of entitlement and hurt, and it becomes a root that grows, and it springs up and becomes a plant, and it's disturbing their peace, and eventually they're staining the people around them with all that difficulty. Here's the big thing, and I'm going to ask for your patience because I'm going to do something tonight that I rarely ever do. I want to walk you through a Bible book. So if you've got your Bible, could you open it to the book of Malachi? It's the last book of the Old Testament. And here's the most important thing I want to say to us. When we go negative, our problem is with God. When I started this message, I shared with you that there are words that the culture has for things and there are words that the Bible has for things because the Bible has greater insight. The world talks about pessimism and optimism. When God talks about it, he talks about doubt and faith. And when people have a belief that things are going to work out well, they may not know it, but really that's, that's faith that God has given the whole human race to come toward him. It's not an informed faith. It's not saving faith. But still, just the sense, the awareness that good can be expected, that is something that God has put within us. That is a, an act of faith. On the other hand, when we go around with the spirit of pessimism, that is doubt or unbelief. Now, the thing about it is, whenever I go negative in life, and I not only begin to believe the worst, but I begin to be motivated by that, I can say my problem is someone else. I can say it's some 
group within the country. I can say it's the Democrats or the Republicans or it's the politicians or I can say it's my wife or it's my mother-in-law or I can say it's the people I work with. But here is the bottom line and there's no getting around this new spring. When any of us begin to believe that we are hopeless and we can't expect anything but the worst, our problem is with God because he is the one ultimately who has our future in his hands. It isn't your boss. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not the person on Facebook who's got it in for you. Ultimately, your destiny is in God's hands. So when we begin to be negative about the future, our problem is with God. Now, let me just quickly go through the book of Malachi because here's the thing that's really interesting about this, this book. The people of God during this time are really in a very good season. God has been very good to them. He's brought them back out of captivity. The temple's been rebuilt. Really, they have nothing to complain about. But the book of Malachi is this back and forth argument between the people and God, and God is trying to speak out to them, telling them how they can be okay, and they're fighting with God. So I just want to read it to you so you can get a vibe and get a feel for it. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, God says, I've always loved you. Hey, I'd love that. That'd make me feel good. God said, I've always loved you, but you retort, really? How have you loved us? And God said, well, you, you know, you've shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? And God said, well, you did it by offering defiled sacrifices. And God goes on in verse 11, my name is honored among all the peoples of the world. All over the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in the honor of my name, for my name is great among the nations. But God said, you're my own people, but you bring contemptible food spoiled food and you bring diseased animals to the Lord's table and they say it's too hard to serve the Lord and God says by the way isn't it interesting that God pays attention to what we say and when we're negative God says you cry out why doesn't the Lord accept my worship God says I'll tell you why because the Lord witnessed the vows that you made with your wife when you were young, but you've been unfaithful to her. God is saying to the guys, there's the guy, it was a real male-dominated culture in that time. If a guy got tired of his wife, he could just push her aside. And, and God said, look, I'm paying attention to that. God says, look at this, return to me. I don't think I have this on the notes, but this is in Malachi. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we never went away? And God says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. And you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God said, well, you cheated me out of tithes and offerings. And if you look at verses 10 through 12, God is saying, look, if you'll just, if you'll just do the right thing, I will bless you. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you're not able to receive. And then God said, well, you said terrible things about me. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You've said, what's the use of serving God? What, what have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we're sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed for those who do evil get rich and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. <laughs> if when you read the book of Malachi, it's an argument, the whole book. It's an argument between God and negative people. And God is saying, here's the issue. And they're saying, no, it's not. This is the sermon, and I'll be through. If you're dealing with bitterness tonight, you, you're probably mad at me. Because you're thinking, that's the last thing I needed 
was to go to church and hear a preacher ream me out for being bitter. And it is hard to deal with. I was reading what one psychologist said today, and he was just warning people to stay away from negative people because he said, you're not going to help them. And he says, one of the hardest things that therapists have to deal with is a negative person. But if you think that I've preached this message tonight to ream you out if you're negative, you couldn't be further from the truth. Do you know, all through the book of Malachi, God is saying, would you just leave the dark room? And they're arguing with God the whole time. And God is saying, just leave. Just walk out into the light. God was trying to tell them he was good. He loved them. He cared for them. He would bless them. They did need to deal with what was wrong in their lives, but God was saying, please come out. If you're here tonight and if you're negative and you're saying, Mark, I'm bitter about the future. You just don't know what's happened to me. I don't know. I'm assuming it is legit, and I'm giving you all kinds of credit for it being legit, but the question is, do you want it to control the rest of your life? Do you want to let it make you stuck? And for the rest of your life, people come by and ask you, why are you stuck? And you'll always have something to tell them. But you'll always be stuck. My prayer tonight is that you will think about this and say, well, what planted the seed? And I don't want to live a life without motivation. And I want to trust God, okay? Maybe my husband is always going to be a jerk, but God is God. Maybe my wife is never going to love me, but God is God. Maybe my kids are not going to grow up and live out their training, but God is still God. Maybe my boss is never going to treat me with the respect that I deserve, but God is still God. And my promotion doesn't come from everybody loving me and everybody treating me right. My promotion comes from God, and I'm going to trust him. One more thing I want to add to this message. What if you are a positive person, a person of faith, and and you just say, Mark, it's getting harder and harder out there. How do I keep my heart full of joy when I'm living in a crazy world and I'm so tired of this election and I'm so tired of all the bad news and I'm so tired of all the craziness. How do I keep my sanity? I don't want to ask you to raise your hand, but is there anybody else wondering that? What is so cool is at the end of Malachi, after this big, long argument between God and most of the people, God talks about a little group of people. And I want to read to you what God says about this group. The Bible says, then those whose lives who honor God. So not everybody was part of this argument. Then those whose lives honor God got together and talked it over. God saw what they were doing and listened in. A book was opened in God's presence and minutes were taken of the meeting with the names of the God-fearers written down, all the names of those of God who honored his name. So here's the thing. If you're a person of faith, go find other people who are people of faith. Don't surround yourself with negative people. Go find other people and talk to them. And I don't know why that the Bible says this. I just find this so interesting. The Bible says that when people of faith talk together, God took minutes and took the names of the people who were optimistic and had faith in his power and his glory. And basically the rest of the chapter says that when God makes up his team, he will look for those people. 
May God help you and me in this age of darkness to step out of the darkness and to put our confidence in him. There is too much to look forward to to be negative in this world. I hate to say this. It's hard for me to even get the words out of my mouth. But I turned 60 this week. Oh, man. Do you know, I've been in this, I've been, I've been at New Spring a long time. I turned 30 here, I turned 40 here, turned 50 here, and now I turned 60 here. And, and I can't believe it because I still feel about 30, you know? And so I never look back. I never, and I'm just stay busy with all. I mean, here's the thing I preach here tomorrow. Tomorrow afternoon, I race to the airport, catch a plane. Monday night, I'm speaking in Charlotte. Great church. There's a concert with a group that's Grammy nominated. They won a million doves, and I can't wait to preach there. So, I mean, I'm just, I stay in motion all the time. But I sat on my deck this week, and I thought, 60. (laughs) You know, this is as transparent as I can be. I was overwhelmed by one feeling. This is the only thing I felt when I thought about turning 60. I thought, I have no disappointments with God. He is so beautiful. I cannot tell you. I mean, I am a risk taker. And as leader of this church, we've taken so many risks to get here. And there were so many times when following God, people told me I was crazy. And I am crazy, probably. And I was extended and out there. And there have been so many challenges just in life. And I look back over my life, and God has just come through so gloriously. I have so many disappointments with Mark. My anxieties caused me to choke at moments of destiny. I underperformed so many times when I could have been so much more, but I have no disappointments in God. As I had this milestone in my life, that is all I could think about. I have no disappointments in God. I don't know how much time I have left, but I want him to be Lord of what's left. And I, don't, I can't afford to be stuck. I have no days left to give to be stuck in negativity and bitterness and concern about being treated badly or the injustices or the slights or the feeling of expectations unmet. I have no time for that. I want to take every day of my life and live it in faith that God will do extraordinary things because he has my destiny in his hands. By God's grace, let's go out and let's live in faith. Thank you for being here tonight. Yeah.